Hey everybody, what's up? Doug Brown here, Method Airwaves. It's hard to believe, episode 10. Today's topic, something I'm very passionate about. The topic today is music. Listen to that. Now it goes calm. Absolutely beautiful. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. The power of music. There is so much to this topic. And today we're going to cover some of my favorite bands. And, uh... The power of music it has so much power and then with everything going on nowadays we need the escape much like movies music is complete art almost unexplainable it's magic the relationship between sounds and tones combining instruments and rhythms in life Rhythm is everything. Our heartbeat is rhythm. You know, years ago, my dad had this uh, record that uh, it was a Chinese record. It was strange. It had these weird sounds on it, and he had got it from the library. I was just a little kid, and I remember hearing it, and I'm like, "This is this isn't music. This is just noises." And he said, "Yeah, it's different." But he made a good point. He said, "Well, everything is music," and boy. Was he right? I mean, any form of sound can create emotion. You know, when someone says, oh, rap music or this or that or techno, that's not music. Well, any form of sound can create something with uh, energy and emotion. Not only that, you can have a sentimental attachment to music, much like a photograph where it can stay with you. You can hear a song and it reminds you of a certain time and place of your life so I love music I've always loved music I have a deep relationship with music I am a musician I grew up playing music I can play piano guitar I do bass guitar classical guitar 12 string guitar and uh, piano and uh, drums had a drum set when I was in high school and I can sing I can harmonize I'm into music it was never an issue if I thought I was any good or not. That didn't matter. Who cares? I had to express myself through tone, and so I did through music, through sound. And it's just always been in me. I was fortunate that my parents had played music a lot in our home, involuntarily. I mean, it was just in the air. My parents were both really into to music. And my mom in particular, she was an accomplished pianist. 
She would play piano all the time. I was lucky enough to grow up with a grand piano, a mini grand piano, in our home. So she would play that all the time. And she even took lessons, and she was just very accomplished. She could play anywhere from Beethoven to uh, Mozart to you name it. And uh, she was just very uh, trained, and she played and sang. And she had took some guitar lessons when she was younger as well. Whereas my father... He was more of the connoisseur of music. I mean, he grew up in the 50s and 60s, and he was really into a lot of that. But what entered his veins in his life was classical music and opera. When I was in high school, I used to uh, give him grief about blasting his opera, you know, at 2 in the morning, or he'd be driving home from work, and his car would be vibrating so loud with classical music pounding out of it. And I would be like, you know, what? But he would say, you like Star Wars, right? And I'd say, well, yeah, of course. And he'd go, well, you like the music? Yeah, it's awesome. Well, he would say, guess what? That's classical music. Those are movements. And he, he had a good point. Because all the movies I was a fan of, Indiana Jones, and of course, Star Wars, and like Superman, the theme song, I mean, all that is classical music. The roots of music, I mean, that goes way back in time before everything that's happened today with music. And it's changed a great deal, but it's still us listening to tones, to music, to sound, rhythm, vibration. It's an amazing thing. And my dad, he uh, not that long ago started playing the euphonium. So he is a musician. He's in the club. And my brother, he uh, played tuba in high school and but was always into music we all were I grew up listening to everything from geez we had ABBA in the household show tunes a lot of that and uh, oh, there's just so much we did have eclectic style of music we had a nice big pioneer record player my dad had an awesome stereo that would fill the uh, living room up and it was always around so I was lucky to have that because I think that makes a big difference. Because it is a language. It's a universal language that we all share. I remember when I was really young, I saw the movie Amadeus. Which, of course, is Mozart's life story. And it's an incredible film. You have to see it. It's like three hours long. But I saw it when I was a real little kid. And after seeing that, I grabbed my little small Casio keyboard. I'll never forget this. I mean, it was literally the same afternoon. I remember... Just all of a sudden wanting to express myself and play these little notes and melodies. And uh, that movie inspired me a great deal. And from that through time, I did. I became a composer of sorts. I wrote my own original songs. Even as a real little guy, I would record them. I didn't have the resources that we have today with laptops, smartphones. I mean, a couple buttons you press and you got drum beats. For me, I had cardboard boxes. I had a couple tape recorders that I would multi-track with, with cassettes and my Casio keyboards, and I started guitar lessons, and through my whole life, uh, I was recording. Uh, grade school, junior high, I had my own original albums. Then in high school, I started to really take my songwriting and composing seriously. I'd multi-track, and I, I had albums. I would make covers for them, and... Uh, it was this whole operation that I had, and uh, 
probably 20 albums or so. So I've written a lot of songs, a lot of different styles. And that's my personal relationship with uh, music in writing and composing. But during that time, I was listening to music like crazy. Now, there's so many different styles of music. I will talk about the groups I'm really into. Uh, but you have to think about music, all the different styles. Let's check these out real quick. Fast cause I'ma live, even if I don't succeed All I know is that I'm looking for this opportunity to even live Just to see the things that I've seen So, there's no limit to different styles and genres of music that is out there from the past, the present, and the future. Where will it go? Who knows? Of course, there's trends in music like anything, like fashion, but we like what we like. I have a pretty wide range of uh, musical taste anywhere from, let me see, I'm looking at what I got. I have a lot of CDs. I even have records still, even my cassettes. But uh, we got Dido, James Taylor, The Police, The Breeders, The Monkees, Angels and Airwaves, Bee Gees, Traveling Wilburys, Daryl Hall and John Oates, George Michael, The Escape Club, um, Casey and the Sunshine Band. I can go on and on, just looking through here. And I have a lot of soundtracks, tons of soundtracks. They're awesome because of course you get a great mix of tunes, music, music notes on a page. I said music is the international language. We all speak it, sound. Uh, but uh, it can be interpreted onto a piece of paper, which is cool. I mean, what a great way for music to live on if you look at the classic artists, you know, from classical music. Through all those years, it's been, you know, they didn't have CDs and recording equipment back then, so it's been taken forward through time with a notation. But does that define a musician? Uh, you know, you can be a music expert on uh, being able to read music, music notes. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're an award-winning uh, musician. Uh, look at Paul McCartney, the Beatles. Perfect example. The Beatles never read actual music. So that in itself proves you don't have to be a musician to read music. Uh, I mean, it comes from within. Not from the paper. The paper is secondary. That's where something is planted or produced. Other than that, different types of music, different types of recording. Things are a lot different. Recording has changed so much through the years as well. 
there's a, I think there's a more weight to music that is acoustic, uh, meaning today's singers, you hear so much pitch correcting, almost sounds robotic-like. It has its place, I get it, it can sound pleasurable, but I think to the human ear, we like to hear something natural without even knowing it. For me, I prefer that over a super quantized, pitch-corrected sound. Like the Beatles. Imagine what their music would sound like if it was pitch corrected. It wouldn't be the same. Or if maybe the drums were perfected and put in a sequencer and... No. It wouldn't be the same. Not to say I don't like electronic music. Because of course, I'm from the 80s. A lot of the music that was put into my veins in my life was from that era in New Wave 80s. A lot of that had synthesizers and things of that nature. To me, it's it's the tools, it's what you use and how you use it. We'll talk about an artist in a bit named Howard Jones that played a huge impact on my uh, music life. I call him my musical father. Yes, his music was electronic, but his song structure was very traditional, much like the Beatles. You'd have a refrain, you know. It, it, the song still worked acoustically. In fact, years after he had his big success with his albums that were primarily synthesizers and electronic, he put out acoustic versions of those songs. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, music. Let's talk about some groups that I'm into. Now, I should talk about copywriting a little bit because uh, I can't play all these songs on this podcast. I wish I could, but in today's world with copyrights and so on. Pretty much everything before 1925 is called public domain. I can play any classical music like Bach. You know, some stuff's not copyrighted and it's safe to play, but I can't just grab a CD and play the Beatles catalog for you. So today we'll have maybe some cover songs and some things to plug in. What I'd like you to do is if I mention a song or there's something that catches your attention, you know, jump on YouTube or Spotify or wherever you find your tunes and uh, check them out. These are just songs that I enjoy and bands that I enjoy. I'm going to throw them out at you. There's a, a handful here. And uh, let's get started. And I'm sure you recognize this guitar riff by the legendary, wonderful, almighty The Beatles. All the groups I'm talking about today that I'm into, this group played the biggest part in my life. Biggest impact. Biggest inspiration for songwriting and they live on. They're so powerful and it's the songs, it's the music. Paul McCartney once said he was so thankful that of all the songs they wrote, for the most part, it was all about love and it was optimism and the songs had just positive elements to them. And I first discovered the Beatles probably when I was about five or so. The late 70s. Uh, my brother had a friend that lived up the road on Townsend Drive. And he was into the Beatles. That's the first time I ever heard the Beatles. And I thought, wow, this is cool. It's catchy. 
at the time, my brother and I, we were kind of into like groups like Kiss and stuff like that. But that's the first time I ever heard the Beatles. And fast forward through time. Oh, I should tell a quick story that's kind of fun. When my dad was in college, when he first heard about the Beatles, it was when they were on the Ed Sullivan show. And he was in his dorm, and one of his fraternity brothers came in. He said, you've got to check out this group that's on TV right now. It's live TV. It's a group called The Beatleys. So my dad's like, all right, check it out. The Beatleys. So, boy. Yeah, they became The Beatles, of course, and still are The Beatles. Their music lives on. That's just amazing. My mother was a big Beatles fan, which is cool. I ended up with her record of with the Beatles, which came out in 1964. That's when they really exploded into America. The whole British invasion happened. But it's neat that I still have that record. And back in the day, people used to write on the record. So it says McPeak, her last name. People always wrote on their records as ownership, which is kind of funny. And I also have her George Harrison doll that she had. It was at my grandparents for many, many years. And one day my grandma, she just said, look, Dougie, that's what she called me. These mean more to you than us. <laughs> you know, my mom had passed away and it was one of those objects that I was glad to inherit. So I still have those. Now, when did I discover the Beatles? Well, I was already recording and writing my own music through my youth, through my childhood. I was into that. And I was listening to a lot of New Wave, Duran Duran. We'll get to them in a minute. But I uh, discovered the Beatles early in high school. My father had bought a CD, which was big at the time in the, the 80s. And it was in 1988. They put out, uh, what was it called? The Beatles Past Masters on CD. First time on compact disc, digital music. I mean, watch out folks, no hiss, no skipping records. It's a big deal. So my dad had bought this because I think he he liked a lot of that 60s stuff. And somehow that ended up in my hands and I was playing that music. And in high school I had a friend named Jeff Welty that I had borrowed a Beatles cassette from. And somehow that stuck and I started playing those albums. I think it was maybe Rubber Soul and uh, anyhow, that CD that I had in the house of uh, the Past Masters was played a lot. It was volume one and two. It was a white CD and a black CD. And I had learned all those songs on piano and guitar. And of course, I always enjoyed singing with Paul McCartney because him and I share the same vocal range. So I discovered the Beatles catalog. And this was the 80s, so I was buying cassettes. And I started to collect their albums chronologically. I'd have two or three, four. Now, all of a sudden, like a love affair, an addiction, I couldn't get enough. I listened to the Beatles all the time. Driving to school, in the car, it was the Beatles 24-7. I loved the variety of music that they gave the world. It wasn't just one bland style. Their fashion changed. They changed with the times from 64 up and through 69. I mean, look at the difference between with the Beatles and Sgt. Pepper's and I mean, come on, Rubber Soul 
and Revolver. Paul McCartney often said those could be the same album. They were very similar, but very artistic and wild and colorful. And then Abbey Road. Abbey Road. Awesome, awesome album. And I love, love that they've been re-releasing these. They've even remastered and remixed some of these albums to where they sound so prevalent and alive and clear. You can hear every instrument. And of course they ended with uh, Let It Be. I mean, look at what's happening today with the Beatles and how they live on. In Vegas they have the Beatles Love production, which is just wild. Would love to see that one day. And the movie Across the Universe. Definitely worth seeing. Very artistic, wild, and psychedelic. So many cool cameos. Bono's in that. Bunch of other people. Some great actors. Love that movie and the soundtrack. And uh, Ron Howard's documentary, Eight Days a Week. Really worth seeing. It's a great viewing. And there's some really, really good uh, cover bands of the Beatles that are out there playing and touring. 1964, that group, that was the first Beatles tribute band that I ever saw. And man, they nail it. They use Paul's Huffner bass and the Vox amplifiers. They're very authentic. And my favorite is a group called A Hard Day's Night. Definitely worth checking out because they do the whole gamut of the Beatles. All the costume changes, they do the whole catalog, and they nail it. And they are fun. Check them out. And when the uh, anthology came out, that was awesome. Three separate releases, Volume 1, 2, and 3. Each had two CDs with uncut stuff and outtakes. And it appeared, I believe, on ABC. They had a TV special that turned into a video release. VHS. It was like seven VHS tapes or something. I bought the Laserdisc set. I think I forked it out, maybe a hundred bucks or something crazy. Laserdiscs, for those who don't know, that was before DVDs, dating myself a bit. But that documentary just covers everything. That's a good one. I discovered this group at such a pivotal time in my life in high school. I was going through so many changes. And when my mom passed away, of course, I mean, the Beatles were there for me. And with me being a musician and a writer, a composer, having that with me as a guide was just wonderful. I mean, they were my teachers of music, what to sing about, how to go inward, to be artistic, creative, colorful. And I identified with Paul so much, again, because of the vocal range. And, you know, everybody's got a favorite Beatle. You know, they're so popular. Uh, one time, I think it was when One Direction was big. A teenager had said, oh, the One Direction band, they're bigger than the Beatles. They sold this many albums. I said, no, let's do a, a, a contest here. Let's do a poll nationally. Go up to every single house and say, hey, can you name all the members of One Direction? Or can you name all the Beatles? And everybody knows we have... Paul McCartney, John Lennon, Ringo Starr, and George Harrison. Of course, Ringo Starr's real name is Richard Starkey, for the nerds out there. But anyhow, going through all these changes, and the Beatles were there for me. And with Paul and my connection with him, I got into his solo 
catalog, his solo music for sure, and Wings. Because after the Beatles broke up, he started that whole adventure, and I also followed every single album. Man, he kept going through the years up until this day. He is still producing and recording albums, and he is my father's age. Exactly. 77 years old, I believe. That's how old Paul is. That's how old my dad is right now. And the Beatles stopped touring so early on in their career, they got kind of burned out on it. And they just, they were so popular, so out there. And they became a, a kind of a studio band until their last performance on the top of uh, that building. So let it be. Definitely cool. So I never saw the Beatles in concert, but I saw Ringo in concert. I'll never forget that at the Ohio State Fair in 1993, right after a year after I graduated high school. And I got to see him in person. And I've seen Paul twice, about 2005, I think, on his uh, U.S. tour. In fact, I'd always went early to concerts. And I was hanging out by the uh, service entrance where they come in. And sure enough, I saw Paul. I was probably about 10 feet from him. He had the window down waving at his fans. Hello. And I got to wave at him. And it was kind of like Beatlemania, people running towards the car. But there was only a few of us that were leading the way. And I got to make eye contact with Paul McCartney. So that was kind of cool. I mean, how many lives have those four guys touched and inspired? I literally could do a whole entire podcast on the Beatles. So I have to kind of cap myself here on this. People always ask what uh, my favorite Beatles album is. And that's a really hard question, like asking which child is your favorite. But if I had to choose one, I think it would probably be Rubber Soul. I love the acoustic element, the songs on it. It's an album that I could play from beginning, middle to end. And it was the most, I don't want to say hippie-ish, but it had a good variety. Songs like In My Life. It's a tune to check out. Norwegian Wood. The Word. That's a funk song right there. And uh, everybody sings on that. That's what was great about the Beatles. It wasn't like Elvis, where you had one single person that led the way. A front man. It was four people, four individuals bringing four separate songs into the mix and putting it together. It never got old because of that. There was so much variety. In high school, I uh, sang The Long and Winding Road my senior year. Got first place, won $50. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of a cool experience. I sung a couple of their tunes on a live telethon. I think I did Let It Be, maybe In My Life. And the band I was in in high school, we would take... We were in heavy metals big. We were rocking out to Metallica, Guns N' Roses, ACDC, stuff like that. But we would do Beatles songs and just add some distortion to it and metalize it with our leather jackets and long hair. So they had, Beatles had followed me through my whole entire life, up until this day. And my favorite Beatles song, which is a toughie, probably Hey Jude, but the most sentimental attachment I have to a song of the Beatles would be Yesterday. I had performed Yesterday in high school I was 16 years old, and it was at a variety show type thing, and my mom was in the audience. And it was the last song she had heard me perform live before she passed away. So every time I hear that song, I can't help but think of her and 
I remember singing those lyrics and knowing that she was ill during this time and the why she had to go part just used to choke me up. It still does. So that song has a, a lot of weight for me and makes me think of her. The Beatles remind us that all you need is love. Now, moving forward, another band that I have a long history with. We're talking all the way back to about 1984 or so. Till up until this day, and the group is Duran Duran. Now, this was the early 80s, so MTV was huge, and they needed a group that was visually out there, and Duran Duran made awesome videos, so they got in heavy rotation on MTV. So that's one way that I discovered them. And my neighbor, Diane Frank, she was a couple years older than me, and she said, hey, I got this 45, I checked it out, and it was the song The Reflex from their third album, which was Seven in the Ragged Tiger. Now that song was huge for them, and a lot of people were introduced to that band as a result of that single, and of course, MTV. And then their prior two albums, their debut album, Duran Duran, and then after that, the big album, Rio, and then Seven and the Ragged Tiger, which had that reflex. But they had so many big hits and great songs from those first two albums that also got into rotation with radio stations and MTV. So I fell in love with Duran Duran for a number of reasons. I was just a young kid, but they were colorful, they danced, the songs were awesome, they played their own instruments, and I could relate to them. They were showmen, they were really entertaining, and the music, again, was just so awesome. You could dance to it, and it was uplifting, and it was positive. Now we're talking Simon LeBon, Nick Rhodes, John Taylor, Andy Taylor, and Roger Taylor. Three Taylors in the band, none of them related. Again, my relationship goes way back with these guys. I have followed them through every single album and they've gone through so many changes. Where to begin? Uh, after they broke up a bit after uh, Live Aid, which I believe was 1985. So they had some splits, they had some cracks in the pavement then singer Simon and Nick and John started the Notorious album, which was a big hit for them. And from then, they went through a lot of different avenues, albums like Big Thing and Liberty. But what really happened for this band in 1993 was their huge resurrection. And joining the band was Warren Kukarulu. So it was Simon, John, and Nick, and Warren and Andy and Roger were no longer in the band. They were doing separate projects, but the album, the wedding album came out, which had the song Ordinary World and Come On Done. But Ordinary World was a huge, huge hit for them. I mean, people that I knew that were, this was a time of grunge, early 90s. People that were into that were jumping on the Duran bandwagon also. Which was kind of weird for me because I was like, man, I never stopped liking these guys. But that song was big. In fact, that year was the first year I saw them in concert at Blossom Music Center. It was the very, very first time. I had really good seats. It was close. It was outside. And I saw Duran Duran. 
which was cool because I was kind of reliving my childhood. When I was young, I couldn't just go to a lot of these concerts. And I was into them when I was really young. I was just in grade school. I remember writing the band to their fan club. Could only imagine what that letter would say. I wore the uh, wristband. I, I thought I was Simon. I also thought I was Nick. I would pretend my name was Doug Rhodes, like Nick Rhodes. I mean, I was a little giddy boy fan. I was into it. But fast forward that 1993, I'm going to see him in concert. And I'm glad I did. And I'd seen them several times in concert after that. I've probably seen them a total of 10 times, give or take. Even when they were at their lowest in record sales, which was probably Medazzaland. And I saw them in concert. I mean, they were playing at the Lakewood High School in the auditorium. And it was only just Simon and Nick, and they rented a bass player, but they still did all the hits. And uh, But they came back big time by 2005. They reunited the band with the album Astronaut, which had some awesome songs. All the original five members, and they were back. And that album was big, and I went to that tour for sure. I saw them twice on that tour. No, three times. Because the first time I saw them when they were a year before it came out, I saw them when they were testing it out. I went to the Akron Agora. I waited seven out seven hours outside in the cold. It was general admission. So I went to that at front row center. That was just awesome. Because there they were playing the songs and they were testing out that new album, Astronaut. So to see them on the reunion tour, to have them back was awesome. Now, they are a band from the 80s, so throughout their career, they did have to battle a bit with that. Indeed, even now people think, oh, Duran Duran, I say that, and they assume Hungry Like the Wolf, Rio the Reflex, Wild Boys, kind of from 84 to 86, or maybe Notorious, Girls on Film, those songs. But they have such a large body of work, and those original songs even, were recorded and produced so well by Colin Thurston, who also did some stuff with Howard Jones, which we'll get to next. So this wasn't just new wave pop. There's an awesome documentary on Rio, their second album. And it talks about the fact that they were a deeper band than people were giving them credit for. No one saw them as the group U2, which is coming up. But behind the music and the lyrics there's there's weight there there's a great song structure catchy tunes but i think their videos played a part in their reputation nick had also had said in interviews that people assume they're still on the yacht with rio singing that song but they've moved on and they have grown and evolved and changed and stylistically, musically, they've worn a lot of different hats. Take, for example, the album Red Carpet Massacre, where they worked with Timbaland and Justin Timberlake and had some songs off of that album that got into radio rotation, which was kind of cool. And they've since made some albums and they're still out there. And it's inspirational for me to see that these guys, when I was a kid, are still rocking and still doing it. Makes me think of me and my skateboard career. I've had fans, I've been doing this for 18 years, that they were young and now 
I'm still doing it and they're now older. So it's kind of cross generations in a bit and Duran Duran lives on, man. My favorite song of Duran Duran. There's so many. Favorite album would be Rio. There's a lot of good stuff on that. It's a great album. I would have to say probably my favorite song would be Ordinary World because it's so timeless and it's reached a lot of people and the message in the song resonates to a lot of people that have dealt with perhaps loss or have gone through some kind of transformation and that song I think really speaks uh, volumes. And next up, I discovered this individual probably around the same time I discovered Duran Duran. In the early 80s, I was a little guy recording and writing my own music. And this person also was a solo artist that recorded his own songs, worked with synthesizers and keyboards. And we're talking about Mr. Howard Jones. Oh yeah, mm-hmm, what's not to like? That song, uh, that was the uh, Things Can Only Get Better, which had the whoa, 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 whoa. My mom used to always sing that. And it's something people recognize. That's probably one of his biggest songs other than No One Is To Blame. So Howard, I call him my musical father because we have so much in common. We even look related, the younger pictures of him when he was in his early 20s, when he first started out, and even up until this day, for some reason. I don't know if there's some genealogical connection. He kind of looks like my father, my actual dad now. Nevertheless, Howard has had a lot of tunes and a lot of history. Uh, got into him again about the same time. Got into Duran Duran, so I followed his career. Even after his mainstream success, I followed every single album. Now, the first time I ever saw him in concert was 1988. His album One to One came out. This was the follow-up album to Dream Into Action. And it was at the College of Worcester, which was my hometown. This is unusual to have a pretty big artist coming to the college to perform in the gymnasium. It was general admission. I believe I was in seventh grade. And I went really, really, really early. I was the very, very first person in line outside the front door. Nobody was around. I was by myself. My friends, they were all coming later. My brother was coming. But I was there. I wanted to make sure I had that front row center. And the line grew and grew and grew because people were coming from all over to see Howard. And I made my way up front and front row. So that was really cool. I still have the t-shirt and the tour program. And I fell in love with Howard Jones and his music. He's got a great uh, an eclectic style of music as well. I mean, whoa. He's, he's done all the electronic stuff. But he's also done a lot of acoustic stuff because his piano playing is remarkable. I mean, this guy has his chops. He's an amazing pianist. I have seen Howard perform so many times in person. That's what's kind of cool about him not really being super high profile at this point in his career like he was in the 80s with his big hits. 
that he's accessible and I've seen him several several times uh, to the point where one time I saw him not too long ago where he had, I had tagged him or something on a Facebook post and I'd brought the picture for him to sign and he recognized me from that and we struck up a conversation he recognized my skateboarding and he was very curious he took the time to talk to me and we had a really cool connection and that was kind of neat uh, so I've seen Howard many times and even had a, a drink with his guitar player Robin Bolt just him and me at the bar talking for a half hour before the show nobody else around that kind of stuff I mean Howard he's just down with the people he's a really cool dude check out his music without a doubt his first album had a lot of the big hits what is love was probably the biggest song off of that album which people still recognize to this day and his follow-up album which was dream into action which had things can only get better and no one is to blame which he remade shortly after that with Phil Collins no one is to blame you can still hear on the radio it's still out there it could be somewhere the song is playing and I've kept up with all his albums through the years he's done so much acoustic stuff which is great and I have a good relationship with that music I can relate to it everything he sings about almost everything is just about hope and optimism and the future and moving forward and it's all this, this positive energy that I can feed off of that's what I try to do in my life and whatever I do and I use him definitely as a role model for that he's always searching for some truth in bettering the world and ourselves so that's commendable favorite song would probably be no one is to blame I think that one just says a lot it's one of those songs you know so that's Howard it's too blame. And next, a group that I had discovered in early junior high, maybe around 1987 or so. This group needs a big introduction, so uh, let's go for it. Ladies and gentlemen, one of my favorite bands of all time. From Dublin, Ireland. Please welcome you 2 Holy moly. I love these guys. You too. I could probably do a whole entire podcast on them. Without a doubt, great legendary rock band that still continues rocking to this day. The same lineup. Bono, The Edge, Larry Mullen Jr., Adam Clayton. I discovered these guys during junior high and... It was shortly after their song, Pride in the Name of Love, was a huge hit. And they have such a backlog of songs that were hits also. I mean, first album was Boy, had I Will Follow. And then October came out. And then after that was War, which had Sunday Bloody Sunday, which was a huge song for them. And let me grab my guitar here real quick. Mm -hmm. Sunday Bloody Sunday was uh, one of the first songs I'd ever learned from them.
a follow. Pride in the name of love. And my personal favorite, which is a song called Bad. Song they played uh, at Wembley Arena at Live Aid, 1985. So, I have a musical relationship with them, indeed. Oh man, uh, 1987 is when Joshua Tree came out, and that was a groundbreaking album for them because it was such a diversion to what they've been doing before, and what was going on in the music scene at the time. Heavy metal was big. Michael Jackson's Bad album came out, and what they put out was completely different than what anybody else was doing. And what an awesome album! Songs like Where the Streets Have No Name, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, With or Without You, that song was big. And uh, yeah, I went to that tour, my brother and I, we got to go, 1987, at the Cleveland Outdoor Stadium, and the next day, my mom was so kind, we were so tired that she let us take the day off of school. I'll always be uh, thankful for that, and I remember that well. So U2's music has followed me through my life. I mean, after Joshua Tree came out, we had Aktum Baby, and the legacy it just kept going up until this day. I've seen U2 in concert a few times, the Vertigo Tour, the Joshua Tree Tour a few years back. It was uh, 30 years after the original, so that was kind of cool to be able to see that and experience full circle. And I love that their chemistry hasn't changed. The elements of that band are drums, bass guitar, guitar, lead vocals. That's all they need. And I love the Edge's guitar style of playing with the delay and the simplicity. Some of their songs aren't really complicated and that's the beauty in those songs. It doesn't take a lot, like the song Bad that I was just playing. I mean, there's basically two chords through the whole entire uh, song. Ah, my favorite album of U2, Tuffy. I would probably say Under a Blood Red Sky, because that was the first album that I actually purchased from them. And there were songs on there that were live that I didn't have the albums to yet, so I discovered a lot of songs on that album and then went and bought the older albums and fell in love with their music and Bono's voice Bono's singing it's almost operatic it's very soulful and that's what I like about it he doesn't consider himself a good singer but the way he sings take for example pride in the name of love that higher register in the name of love that part I mean it's from the gut and uh, it really resonates to people. And it sure did me. Long live you too. Favorite song? So many. But Bad, which I've talked about a few times here, is probably my favorite. Bono said it's a uh, song about addiction. It's about letting go. 
and uh, that would be the one. And the next band, do you know where you are, baby? You're in the jungle. You're gonna die. If you know where that's from, you know who I'm talking about. Guns and Roses, Appetite for Destruction. Their first album, one of the best rock albums of all time. Came out in 87. I really discovered it in 1988. I was a teenager. I was going through changes. I was rebelling. This album just fit me like a glove. My room was plastered with Guns N' Roses posters, tapestries. I looked like a band member. My parents were getting nervous. I was decked out in leather. Had a dagger coming out of my ear. Long hair. Playing guitar. Rock and roll. I mean, that album. So much emotional, sentimental attachment to that and I was really working on my guitar playing at this time so I was able to play that whole entire album from beginning middle to end I would tune an E flat to it press play on the CD player and rock out to it I'll never forget when MTV played Guns N' Roses live at the Ritz I got the VCR going taped that thing and must have watched that a thousand times that concert was just golden at the time. And Axl Rose, what a front man. He used to do this snake dance. We'd go left to right, and I used to imitate that. And the band, I mean, what do we got? We got Duff McKagan. Always thought he was cool. I was, always had a similar style to him. Slash, real name is Saul Hudson. Axl Rose, Izzy Stradlin, and drummer Steven Adler. So those guys, man, they put that album out and just took off. The music on that album, let me grab the, there's so many songs on it. I have them memorized by number. You know, I know that number six is uh, Paradise City. Number nine is Sweet Child of Mine. That's how much I played this thing on my CD player. It's so easy. Oh, wow. That was a big deal when the F word was used in that song. We were. I remember thinking that was like, the craziest thing. I mean, now, <laughs> it's just left and right on a song. But at the time, they kind of used the profanity at the right times, you know? They didn't abuse it. Welcome to the Jungle. It's a night train. I used to skate to a lot of these songs. Mr. Brownstone, which was cool because it had the word Mr. Brown in it. Paradise City. Love that song. I was sent away to a boot camp. And I'll never forget the first song I had lined up on the airplane this is after three weeks of being in Billings, Montana, hiking 20 miles a day. But I get on the airplane and I queued up Paradise City. Take me down to the Paradise City. Oh, what else? Sweet Child of Mine. One of the best songs ever written. Hands down. Love that song. And their follow-up album after that was uh, Lies. GNR Lies, which had the song Patience, which I really, really liked. Because it had the first side, side, talking cassettes here and records, was acoustic songs, which was kind of neat. And the song Patience was cool because it was so soft and it wasn't all heavy metal. And uh, after that, let's see, they did the Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 albums, which I believe came out in 92. Let me double check that. Yes, that's right. I was a senior in high school. 
And those albums, they were a little different because Steven, the drummer, he had some drug problems and he didn't appear that much on that album. They, the band had keyboards and it wasn't what it used to be. Duff talks a lot about this in interviews, how it was different. And I felt that too. Those albums are okay and there's some songs on there, but there's a lot of songs. Nothing beats Appetite for Destruction for me when I think of Guns N' Roses. I never saw them in concert back in the day. I wish I had had, but they, of course, got back together, the original lineup, but Steven, drummer, isn't there. And I saw them a few years back, and it was awesome, of course. Axel looks a little different. Uh, gained a couple pounds, but he's still uh, rocking. What was really interesting at the very end of the concert, never seen anything like this in my life, Slash... The whole band does their bow and leaves, but Slash is the last to go, right? He's got his hat on and everything. And what does he do? Out of nowhere, he does a handstand and starts walking on his hands for a little bit, flips over, and then leaves. The most interesting thing I've ever seen. That's rock and roll, unpredictability. And Duff McKagan, the bass player, he's got a couple books out that I've read and What's kind of interesting about these guys is what they've been through, and Duff in particular, because I've studied his books, and uh, he's been through so much adversity, and he survived drug addiction, and he's really done a lot with his life. He's turned himself around. He's a cyclist, so he bikes all the time. I can relate to that. But it's a testament to mankind and rock and roll that you can still be a rock guy. You can still rock out without being destructive. A neat quick story here. My mom, she was a nurse turned realtor, an award-winning realtor. She was very successful, but she was cool. She would uh, take my tape, my cassette tape of Appetite for Destruction and play it in her used Lincoln Continental and drive around in between negotiations of doing real estate stuff and listen to that album. One time when I was coming home from school, my freshman year, I heard this noise in the basement and my mom was singing through my microphone and through my uh, guitar amp. She was singing Sweet Child of Mine. She was singing Guns N' Roses. I just thought that was the coolest thing. I mean, here's this lady that presents herself a certain way, but is still down with Guns N' Roses. I mean, at the time, my parents looked at me like I was a devil worshiper because I had the attire. I did. I looked like a band member, without a doubt. And my favorite song, hands down, would be Sweet Child of Mine. What a great love song. It's an anthem for the band. It's been remade so many times. But every time I hear it, that intro, that guitar, takes me to that place. It takes me to that time. Guns and Roses. And there's a handful of bands that I'm really passionate about and into. There are a lot of other bands I'm really into. I mean, I listen to uh, Prince, huge Prince fan. I've been on stage with Prince before, face to face. He saw me dance. That's for another podcast. I'm into Elton John, Neil Diamond, The Carpenters. John Denver, uh, ABBA, Green Day, Elvis. I could go on and on. Now music. What can I say about music? 
I think it's important to to go out there and hear live music. There's something about that and being with a group of people and listening to music in a live setting. There's something about that relationship between the performer and the audience member that's pretty uh, spectacular. So I encourage you to go out there and listen to, to live music and to keep your ears and your mind open to new sounds, new ideas. You don't have to have a small selected view of what you like for music. Open the door. There's people who say, I don't like classical music. Well, you do, but you don't know it. You're watching a movie, no matter what it is. There's a sad scene. Something is happening. You're relating to the people, but you don't realize subconsciously there's some classical music underneath that. There's a score playing and it's affecting you on an emotional level. So you like it without even realizing it. I mean, the older I get, I always hear my dad's voice, you know, uh, you haven't lived long enough. He used to say that a lot. Well, at my age, uh, my uh, music style is always growing. I mean, I listened to Pavarotti the other night. Uh, so my window is open of what I listen to. I mean, when I was younger, I had the radio, MTV, and word of mouth. Friends bought a record, say, hey, you got to check this out in today's world with these resources, with Spotify. I mean, you can press a button, type in a couple things, you're linking here, you're going there. There is so much music out there and you can get educated on the past. The music from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and upward. There's no shortage of music. Keep your ears open, your mind open, and listen. And there it is. I've really enjoyed this podcast. I can talk about music forever. And uh, my comings and goings, make sure to check out my website, www.dougbrown.org, for what I'm up to, doing all kinds of stuff. And thanks for uh, listening to another episode of Method Airwaves. Now, on my exit here today, before I leave, I want you guys to join me. I don't care where you are. You could be in your car. You could be wherever. I'm going to have you join me on this song. It's the end of Hey Jude, the na-na-na's. Let it out. Don't hold back. Thanks again, everybody. Till next time, this is Doug Brown signing off on Bethany Airways.